Before we get started, I wanted to let you know about our monthly membership called the High Risers Club. Building upon the foundation of our program, Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors, the High Risers Club is designed to help members gain a more expansive knowledge of and confidence around the most important aspects of commercial real estate. Each month, we'll take a deep dive into one specific commercial real estate topic, and you can join me and my team live every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time to learn and answer your questions. To sign up, click the link in the show notes or go to coachjeffwright.com slash the High Risers Club. Hi, this is Coach Jeff Wright. And in my podcast, Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors, we will take a deep dive with industry experts into different aspects of commercial real estate. My ultimate goal is to give you the knowledge, confidence, and belief that you can transact commercial real estate at a high level, just like you do with residential real estate. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors. And with me today is our special guest, Mr. Ray Rizzio. Welcome, Ray. Glad to be here, Jeff. Anything. Ray, for some people will know that this is actually your second time around, so I appreciate you giving us some more time. And part of the reason why, for those that either heard the first episode or have not been with us before, I want to just give a little background to try to help people understand why you're invited back a second time and and why we'll probably do some more down the road. So for those that didn't hear, Ray's background is he started as a lawyer, still is a lawyer, in 1985. And during that time, Ray and I developed a very close relationship, close friend in a close business relationship. I started my firm in 1987, and Ray and I have worked on several development deals, and Ray represented many clients of my own and clients in our firm just from a a legal standpoint for closings, both residentially and commercially. But most of all, I want the audience to know is that your background is one that is, I call it in the sports world, I call it last time, a five-tool player, meaning that Ray has an expertise as a residential lawyer, has an expertise as a commercial lawyer. Ray also represented, has represented, continues to represent several lenders doing commercial financing. And the reason why I think that's so very important is you really understand from the lender standpoint what they're going to require with guarantees or any of those other kinds of commitments and how they're going to structure some of the deals. In addition, Ray is an expert. I call him the premier go-to guy in our market area for planning and zoning. But the last part of his five tool is the investor hat that he's been a highly successful investor. And that's really what I want to talk about today is looking at investment deals. So welcome again. Happy to be here. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Did I miss anything? No. Okay. Did I build you up too much? At least you didn't call me a utility player, like I said previously. (laughs) So no, not at all. I mean, I feel very fortunate and each one of those positions, as you could call them in baseball, led into each other and then also all work together. And I think it's given me a pretty good knowledge 
of multiple parts of real estate. I don't necessarily would consider myself an expert when I talk to some of the people who really thrive in the individual areas, but it's given me a general enough background to work and, and maneuver, I would say. Yeah, well, that, that's humble. So if we're going to do still do the sports team, I'm putting you on my all-star team. Uh -huh. I'm just not sure where I'm batting you yeah. yet. You know, it just depends if you're going to show up on time or whatever it might be. <laughs> but in all, in all yeah. seriousness, let's get started. So first thing I want to do, we're talking invest, investor hat today. If someone's bringing you, I'm bringing you an investor deal, an investor deal. So talk to me about the things that are most important to you when you're looking at a deal overall. I guess it starts with the word opportunity. Am I looking to create value or am I looking to buy value or am I looking to invest in the future? And a lot of that evolves on the individual investor, whether you're investing a fund or it's a personal investment. For me, when I started out as a young lawyer, I bought my thing first deal. I bought a condominium with the hope of just flipping it and making $10,000 and I was in heaven. As you then start to build your practice or build your investment, you start looking at developing opportunities for larger uh, creation of value and to be able to make money in, in chunks. And then as you get older and you're more well-established, you're looking for less risk maybe, or you're become maybe a little less risk, risk tolerant when you have a little more to lose and looking for more of the solid conservative investment returns with a strong aversion to the downside, put it that way. Okay. Let me just take different components and you tell me from your perspective, how important they are to you when you look at a deal. So let's start when you're looking at investor deal. So it could be retail, it could be multi, it could be well-positioned office, multi-tenant medical building. You're looking at that. So location, how important to you? Location to me is huge if you're looking at the long term, really important looking at the long term, because will that survive any tenancy? So, for example, if you're on Maine and Maine and you're on a corner and whether Starbucks is the new hot thing, McDonald's is the new hot thing, Chipotle is the new hot thing, there's always going to be the demand because it's always going to be a high traffic area. Now, if you're doing, if it's a remote distribution center for Amazon and Amazon has a 20 year lease, now you're going to be, you're almost get out of the real estate world and you're become a bond trader and you're trading not on your real estate, but you're trading on the strength of Amazon. So you have to understand that certain cap rates go with certain strength of companies. So in that instance, you're almost looking at, you really have to understand what is the value of your tenant? Because now it's tenant driven and not location driven. So the opportunities are, location is very important. And if you can, if you can merge both a strong tenant and a strong location, you've got the best of both worlds. You can't miss on that. So I'm gonna go to the third factor though. So strong location, strong tenant, length of lease. Let's talk about length of lease because you know, recently I saw what was a national tenant and a cap rate that didn't make sense. Literally, an, 
There is cap rate for national tenants shown in the market, hovering around five and a half or six in a market. And this cap rate was nine and a half or 10 for this national tenant. So immediately would say to you and me, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with what's going on with that national tenant. Right. Or there's something wrong with what the lease length is that's there. See, what people don't understand, and sometimes in looking at these leases, whether typically it was a Walgreens or let's, let's, I don't want to say a specific tenant, but a, a pharmacy or certain other retail stores, when they're looking for locations, they'll typically have a developer find a location for them, and then they'll pay them a return on cost. If they really wanted to be there and they know they can make a lot of money there, that's irrelevant to the real estate they may when the interest rates are five they may pay the developer a seven percent return on costs well now the problem is when the interest rates climb the rent becomes or draw climbs those rents become the rents aren't in relation to the market and that's the problem so if you have a lease that's expiring so you have a 20-year you're at the end of a 20 year term and you have a lease that was based on costs, not on market. The rent doesn't relate to market. So you, that, that investor can't count on that money going forward. So that's why the higher cap rate, because now you, what you're going to have to do is if that lease expires and the tenant leaves, you're going to have to treat it as a market rate rent. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, totally. So yeah. So location we talked about, quality of tenant we talked about, length of lease is Correct. critical because of just what you said. Okay. So let's move next to say, how do you personally now, your own for your own investment strategy, look at a single tenant triple net deal versus a multi-tenant building? What? How do you look at both of those? Once again, if it's location and the location's the best and it could be deal with many single tenant, then I think your guard's not as up as much and you do have to understand the strength of your tenant. We talked about before understanding the banks. The banks all underwrite based on the tenant. The banks do not want to be in a development business. They don't want to take back a property because a tenant has failed. And location's important. I mean, everybody, people, Bed Bath & Beyond has filed bankruptcy. Think about all these companies that have filed bankruptcy over the years that people used to treat as an A tenant. Caldors go back years. I mean, everybody was grand unions. All these significant tenants that everybody thought would never have a problem. What you don't understand about the tenants, you don't understand their balance sheet sometimes. So they may have a strong name, but if they're over leveraged, then they can file bankruptcy and basically wipe out your lease if they wanted to, or renegotiate your lease. So understanding the strength of your tenant is very important. And what's very difficult now, I think, is the world's just moving so fast. So what could seem a strong tenant today when you sign a lease, GameStop, you know, was very strong 10 years ago. Now, all of a sudden, that tenant is you know, because technologies, blockbuster videos, everybody was lending against blockbuster videos. Who knew how quickly videos would go out of the market? It's that single tenant item. You better really understand your tenant and then understand your tenant's position in the marketplace. With regard to location, somebody's going to sell something at Maine and Maine and you're and, and there's always going to be something sure. to sell. Sure. 
Okay, so let's move on and let's just, I just, today's world, for you personally, what, if you had a choice to pick any product category, would you be picking retail, office, multi, or industrial today, as you look at the world? As I look at the world, I consider all five of them. But once again, you still have to go back to your elements. What is your opportunity? What is the strength of the tenant? One of my best friends in life and big adv advisors was a, was a banker said, just remember one thing, Ray. In commercial real estate, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So while apartments are the hottest thing going right now, what you don't understand about apartments, or a lot of people don't understand about apartments, the time from approval and putting a stick in the ground you enter in one marketplace, you may leave in another. So right now, there's a lot of people very nervous about apartments because how are they going to be able to compete apartments today with today's interest rates with a very good product? So apartments are very risky. What is in the pipeline? You always have to understand from a development standpoint. From an industrial standpoint, that has now started to slow down now. Distribution centers have been overbuilt. People you read every day, sure. Amazon cutting back. From an industrial standpoint, you know, our manufacturing, are we bringing it back into the into these states or, we, or is it leaving the states? So it's... When you didn't even talk about office. What and, about and office? And, and office is really an, an interesting, and, and I think you and I have talked about this before. Years for years, everybody shied away from the old office buildings with the small floor plates and they were very hard to rent the new big buildings and it's why new york city is going to really struggle with these hundred thousand these huge floor plates so that everybody could be in these bins and everybody on the same floor now as the office market is shrinking how do you reuse these office buildings well all of a sudden these old office buildings that everybody thought had no value because of their small office plates, they can convert them into residential because in residential, every bedroom must have a window. You can accomplish that with small office plates. When you have large office floor plates, you can't accomplish that. And now these buildings are, you know, who knows, maybe they'll be pickleball. They'll be pickleball places, but they're typically the, the, the ceilings won't be as high, which is interesting. You have some of these malls turning these anchor retail stores into pickleball and paddle and recreational facilities. So understanding your market, understanding a reuse of a property is very important. I remember somebody advised me very early on is two things you had more important is to how do you get into the deal is how do you get out of the deal? Right. And I think that's really important. And I think, so when you say which of those segments would I look into, I look at all of them and then see what, the, what would have the best opportunity to provide the best, safest return. Yeah. I think jumping on, jumping in blindly just because industrial is hot today. I had a very significant New York City real estate developer tell me, he said 15 years ago, if he asked me what pieces of property I would ride off into the sunset, it would have been in a, a, an office building on 3rd Avenue in the 40s near Grand Central and a retail building on Madison Avenue in the 50s, and I would have been a genius. 15 years later, I'd be bankrupt. Wow. So keeping up with, and, and, and it's it continued as technology advances. Now, as you're talking about AI and different things like that, 
the world keeps evolving and you cannot just say, I only do retail. I only do industrial. You've, they're, they're all starting to intertwine. And that's part of when I say to our residential realtor audience, and I talk about my own career, you made a joke about that utility player. So I considered myself in commercial real estate, the utility player, meaning that wherever someone had a need that was my client, that's what it was. If they wanted to purchase a restaurant, if they wanted to do industrial, they wanted a lease, whatever. And you did the same thing as lawyer with all your clients and did same the same stuff with investment stuff as long as it all made economic sense, that deal. And right, part of what I just heard you say is I'm just going to super simplify it, is that you just need to make sure that you look at each deal, wide open eyes, you understand what else is going on in that market in that product category, because what will ultimately win is location will win as long as it's can price properly and the absorption is not crazy. That can definitely win. I got a question for you. So you've done this a long time. And, and I know you're very open about sharing and teaching and educating others overall. Give us, the audience, a couple things, I call them mistakes you made, things you've learned from the past as an investor that, you know, I know you said you're more conservative maybe today with your age, but just talk about a couple lessons you learned that have helped you today, helped you guide some of your clients remember buying a large industrial property, building it all out and really not understanding the strength of the tenant in the marketplace. It wasn't a blockbuster, but like a firm that would have competed with like a crazy Eddie's and we were building that as a distribution center and luckily sold the building because within a year or two, the person went bankrupt because they were over leveraged. And I didn't really understand that at the time that I invested in it. It looked like a strong company and they had 20 different locations. They were distributing all around. And it looked like this was going to be this was this was a very safe investment, but there was not there wasn't a great reuse of the property. It was built for their specific standards and we kind of got lucky. Sometimes I always kid I people jumping from lily pad to lily pad. So there is a little bit of luck in real estate. You got to remember luck and timing. Hard work helps put you in the best position so that you're not just relying on luck and timing. But there's a lot of there's a lot of that timing that goes into getting in and out of projects. What did you say earlier that I think is, is just great is you said that someone had told you you need to know how to not only get into a deal, but how to get out of a right. deal. That's really, I mean, in terms of lessons, right. I think it's a huge lesson overall. So two more questions for you. So anything residential realtors working with an investor, any words of wisdom that you would share with them? Some of those residential realtors are going to be their own investors, but anything at all that you think would just help them either have the confidence to know they can do this or any just coaching advice for them on what they need to be able to do? From essentials, and it's funny, if you look at a, a letter of intent, no different than a binder in real estate, most letters of intent on commercial properties, pretty much the same. It's not till you get to the contract when the lawyers get involved that you end up with a 50-page contract versus a five-page contract. 
And as a realtor, your main obligation is to deliver that letter of intent. And that's understanding the basic economics of the deal and why something would make sense. So if you overcomplicate things, and it's certainly in the commercial real estate, that's what the bankers will double check for anybody. That's what the lawyers will double check for everybody. So there's so many more eyes, believe it or not, on that deal you're trying to put together than there is in a residential real estate. So you actually, in a residential real estate, you probably have more responsibility to your client. A lot of them are relying on you as to value. There's a great amount element of trust there. And there's pretty much no eyes to you after you as to what the value is. From the commercial side, you put this deal together. There's going to be five people, four to five people at least, from all different skill levels, checking to make sure that this deal makes sense for your client. And doing so, it during that due diligence correct. phase. And so, understand that yeah. what you're doing is don't shy away. Create the opportunity. Know there's people behind you that, are, that should be good at what they do. And if they're not, then the client has picked the wrong person. Your, your desire, though, is to provide the opportunity. Set a basic deal structure, which really is no different from that on your, on your residential side. And then have the exports tear everything apart. Yeah. And when you say just a, a basic structure, you're talking about what are the business terms? You're talking Correct. about the price, right. what are the contingencies, what the financing, 100%. just the, the basic terms to get an agreement, then you can move to the other phase. So last question, same question I asked you last time. You have any doubt that a residential realtor can be successful in commercial real None estate? None at all if they put the work in. It's not getting an MBA. It's not getting a master's in real estate from Harvard. It's a matter of knowing your market, knowing what's out there. It's the stuff you do every day, but just expand the thought process from a house to a box with a bunch of different tenants. And I think the good residential real estate agents underestimate how much they know about the market from a commercial side. They understand why properties may be more valuable when they're in town because they're close to everything. Well, it's for the same aspect commercial real estate will have more value when it's close to those homes that you're selling that people can afford to live in. So they're very much intertwined. Your basic, your really good knowledge of your own markets will also allow you to say, geez, that's a really good spot for this type of store. Or this would be great for an office building because there's a certain level of people that live here will be commuting to this office building. Or it's in a good location where support staff can get there. So the same thing that you just have to flip your hat and why you're telling your residential buyer or owner why this is a good place to live because of all the things it's close to, you put that hat on and say to your commercial investor, because this is your surrounds, this would be a, a very good place to invest. Yeah, great, great. So before I say thank you, do, they do, do a good job of not answering the question or? Oh no, that was great. No, the question was great because I the answer absolutely is I believe you said on the yes or no word you pick which word. Absolutely. Yes. So I'm going to ask if if I can invite you back. Uh, what I want to do next with you is I really want to get into some of that development stuff you just talked about and how you look at spaces and from a planning and zoning standpoint and create real value, um, especially, and we'll talk about this, is those properties that are either vacant properties that you create something or those properties have a use 
and you figured out a much higher and better use overall. Yeah, I have a couple of properties that we've done that would be unbelievable case studies. I'd be happy to share it with you. I think it's a great area of real estate that will also help residential brokers and agents to identify something that's not just on its face, but that's something that can lead to an opportunity for them and for their clients. Yeah. Happy to do it. Sounds great. Super. Thank Thanks, Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Commercial Real Estate for Residential Realtors. As a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast to receive new episodes as soon as they are released. For more information on me, my team, and my educational programs, visit my website at www.coachjeffwright.com. Thank you for listening, and here's to your success.